Here we go, here we go. Let's pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, who walked the way of the cross as an obedient servant of God, open our ears, we beg. Teach us by your Spirit, we ask, that we may not rebel but walk in the obedience of disciples who have learned of your love, who with the Father and the Holy Ghost lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Good to see all of you. Uh, there's just a thousand things to talk about this morning before we get started. Uh, people, you know, this is probably a good sign in the congregation. People keep asking me to have a pledge card. Okay, okay, far be it for me to hold back. So you're gonna, you got one with your envelopes that got mailed to you. You're going to get one in the middle of March with a little letter from me. Now, when you get that letter, open it and read it. Okay, that's the reason I'm sending it with postage. And then... Um, you know, say a prayer to the baby Jesus, put a number on this, and put it in the offering plate. If you're nervous about somebody else seeing that you're given a million dollars, okay, I get that. So then just, little joke, are you still with me? Anybody, you out there? People? So um, uh, put it in an envelope and drop it in, okay? And you know what? If you don't do this, you know what will happen. Every church service will be like this morning when we can't pay the light bill, and it's just a little dark in there, Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can love Jesus or not. It's your choice, but there's always consequences. So, you know, you don't want to be John Crow right now because John Crow has 19 balls in the air. So we got new water fountains coming in. There were guys who were here 12 hours, Mooma, Raisler, and, um, you know, Rich Wren, and I don't know, Python Palmer was here. Usual suspects here, you know, putting in a... There's fancy new water fountains going in throughout, but... The organ is coming along, you know, uh, don't hold us to the Easter promise. They had four guys, where, I know, I know, but there are four guys working on it, and, you know, who knows, we can't, we just, we don't want to, we don't want to do anything until it's perfect, or until we think it's perfect, so just patience, patience. The, the electricity, apparently, there's a direct line that comes into this panel, the panel is sealed. Yeah, I did order John to pry the front off and try to put a penny in and make it work for the, but, no, he wouldn't do it. Something about OSHA and life insurance. So um, that's only for you who are older, right? So anyway, it wasn't even something that we could look inside. It's a sealed panel. We'll get after it this week. There's a new fence uh, over here. Now, just so you know, we're, we're also spending a lot of time thinking about secure. Karen Crawford, you haven't interrupted me for, I think, four weeks. You have four fingers up. It was four weeks before last time. What is it, dear? I didn't look over soon enough. <laughs> what can I do for you? Um, just to be specific. Yes, dear. Do you want the, the pledge card that came with the envelope or the one that you're setting in the middle of the mug? Or the one that I put this morning? They're all the same, Karen, because as the advertising people in this congregation tell me, they say that I have to tell you seven, sometimes eight times before you listen to me. <laughs> I actually didn't believe it. It's like having children all over again, right? <laughs> So if they're all the same, you can pick one, or if you'd like to fill one out three times, you can do that too. Can I fill it out in Braille? You can fill it out in Braille, and then I'm going to send it back to the one um, person I know in this congregation who can translate it. <laughs> and then everybody's going to be happy. You can also fill it out on the website, which is real good. Yes. If you, Yes, if you go to the website, uh, I actually did mine on the website because I wanted to see if the website would work. It works flawlessly. Um, John has got so many things 
work in the automatically load into the computers and even into the books saves us a ton of time, keeps us from making mistakes. If you go to the website, that is extra credit. That is, as we like to say in the church, another jewel in your crown in heaven, right? <laughs> so I would go to the website first. That is right. But so, I've had so people asking me. And, and So anyway, fill it out. Fill it out online if you can. Fill it out in Braille. Fill it out in English. You can fill it out in Chinese if you want, just as long as the numbers are big, okay? <laughs> big numbers in there, okay? So... Um, I think Pastor Bukes had the last home meeting on the weekend and kind of rallied everybody who didn't have another day. So, I mean, kind of Pastor Bukes there going the extra mile again. His lovely wife, I mean, suddenly he goes home and says there'll be 30 extra people here tonight. So, I, you know, I don't know how you, it's crazy. They're very nice people, those Bukes people. The Nelsons are nice, too. You should get to know them. They're very nice people, the Nelsons. There's a new fence. In the back, there's a range of reasons for that, just outside the back doors. I just saw it this morning for the first time. They had to wait till the concrete would harden up. It's been too cold for a while, but they came immediately, put that in. The question is, you know, what are we going to do there? The answer is, we're trying to figure it out. First, we want to keep, you know, I got, you know, I got kids who skateboard, but the skateboarders were doing damage, especially the places where they were throwing their boards against the wall and break, breaking it up. So, and there's security stuff too. We're still trying to figure out whether or not we should lock both of those doors down. We've talked with some security people. You know, people have more concerns about the troubles that have been around in churches and all that. If you come sometime and you find out that the east side, the two big sets of east side doors are locked, or maybe even the south side doors, and you have to walk around the front, or maybe we have limited access, it's not because we don't like you. It's because we're trying to figure out the safest thing, and we're listening to people who are smarter than we are. So we're trying to figure it out. I don't know exactly what we're going to do. There are little pieces that are coming into place. Little by little, kind of every, every week, a few things change and move. Just kind of go with it. It's, been, it's being done very thoughtfully by people who know what to do. So just kind, of, just kind of go with it, okay? So fill this out. Look at the new fence. When you skateboard, you know, no throwing your board against the drive it. It breaks. Um, we'll get the electricity fixed up for next week. Um, if you think the electricity might be your fault, you can come on Wednesday and repent at the Lenten service. That would be at 7. And we'll hear confession at 5.30 to 6.30. So make yourself a list and come on in. All right, I think that's all of it. Uh, just questions about anything else? Everybody good? Everybody's good? Everybody's good? Really? All right, that's good. We've got friends here um, because their church is a bit underwater. So... When I lived in Moments, when I was pastor there for four years, you know, we'd have a 100-water flood about every three years. And um, I'm a fi- they're from Watsika, and I'm, I fear that, you know, they sometimes suffer the same fate. So it sounds like their house is spared, but their church is a little wet this morning. Could you introduce yourself to us, please, and just tell us, you know, a, just a little bit about who you are, where you're from. They've got kid, two kids in Sunday school, so we're very welcome. And they come to us through The Simpsons. So, yeah, go ahead, please. Hi. Yeah, whoever's the talker. It's hard to know. Yeah, um, Pastor George Cooper. We're from down in Montego, which is a little bit south of here. Um, little town of like 5,000 people or so. But uh, we've had flooding issues. We've been here for three and a half years in Watsika, and this is our third flood. So it's been pretty bad. But, this is the uh, first time it's in the church, though. Yeah, this is the worst one they've ever had. Yeah. So we've got water in the church. we got brand new carpets that are all ruined. We just got them like a few months ago. So, um, yeah, things like that. But thankfully, the house was miraculously spared. So we're okay. But just be thinking about our community and, and praying for us. 
Um, you know, there's just a lot of people who are really suffering worse than, than, than we are right now, and people whose houses are completely destroyed, everything they own is, is gone. Um, we even have people who, after the last terrible flood, had their houses raised up like six, eight feet, and this time the water was so bad, it still got in their houses. Wow. So, well, we're glad that you're here. Try to get a little rest this morning. Um, if you put money in the basket, it'll go to LCC. I already this morning got, a, got an email from LCC, Luther Church Charities, that they're in Watsika working. There's actually videos on their site. And, you know, if our guys or any, uh, our men and women go down to work, we'll work through LCC. But we'll remember you as well. Um, so we'll just there's just a lot to do. And, you know, these people are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we'll... We'll work it through and we'll try to figure it out, but it's, uh, it's a difficult thing, especially when it comes repeatedly, because it's not just the reaction to it, the fatigue of it, right? We just did this, and we just did this the year before, so that's hard. So we'll remember you, and we're, but we're glad you're here, and thanks to the Simpsons for inviting you and bringing you along, okay? Thanks, love you. All right, what else? Anything else? You okay? What's going to be dinner on Wednesday? Anybody know? All right, good. From Mariano's? Mariano, soup and salad, is that what's happening? Probably, okay, good. All right, uh, we've had so many happy examples of what we've been trying to do. So try to remember where we've been across the course of the year. This notion that Christianity has sort of lost its status, but you know, it doesn't have to be a horrible thing, especially if we remain kind, loving, compelling um, folks who point to Christ. We've seen a range of ways that Jesus has engaged people who are not unlike the people that you will engage. Intellectual type people, scholar type people, rich people, people who are desperate, people who are broken, people who are desperately sinful. And in each case, Jesus has been able to sort of love them back toward God and grant them some kind of healing. You know, today's the outlier case. So I gotta, I've gotta, we gotta do Judas, and um, it's not a particularly fun story. In some ways, it's difficult, but it does make this simple comparison. Last week we talked about the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus urged her to agree with him. Does anybody condemn you? Clearly in his head, no one condemns her. Not the community, not him, and not herself. So he's begging this woman to agree with his judgment about her, his kind, merciful judgment. I love you. You shouldn't be stoned. You're forgiven. You're righteous. Go home. You're free not to sin anymore. Go over there and play. Right? This sort of beautiful thing that you can take with you. It's the same for all of you and for me um, to, to agree with those three things, that our community still loves us, that God still loves us, and that we can love ourselves. So those are really difficult things to get all three of those things lined up together. So, but it's, it's a wonderful thing. And to agree, faith in its simplest sense is to agree with Jesus. So we see and say and think and do as Jesus sees and says and does. Right? In the simplest sense, faith just simply agrees with Jesus. And so there's a lot of talk this morning of discipleship and even in the prayer, obedience, and then obedience and love are the same thing. So it all sort of fits together. Now, um, it's Lent, and we, you know, we'd get the full story, so here it is. Um, so I'm just kind of at point number one. Jesus has been so compelling, right? just so compelling. So he'll go over there and play, right? And Judas becomes the opposite of that. I'm just flipping to two. So you, you all know the Last Supper story, I think, fairly well. Um, you have to remember what a feast looked like in the Middle East, that people, 
Think about the Israelites as always on the move. Think about the Israelites as wanderers. Think about the Passover as the memory of those who are brought out of Egypt to a new place. And so, and th even think about the diet of the Middle East. The diet of the Middle East is normally lentils, water, you know, um, flatbread, meat. To have meat in the Middle East um, was a sign of either luxury and riches or a big feast day. And also wine was not the common drink for folks. And if it was, it was horrible. Um, even I was this weekend at, um, or this beginning of this week at St. John's up in College, I went to Mass a couple of times with the monks. And, you know, they cut the, you're not used to this, we don't do this, but they have, they splash a little water into the chalice after the chalice is filled before the words of institution. Why do they do that? It's not in the words of institution, of course. But sort of everybody knows that that was the custom. The wine was not very good. And the water sort of diluted the bitterness of it or the acidity and made it more drinkable, right? So you put all of that together with um, what's happening at the Last Supper. This should be the great joy of Israel. So John is near. Judas on the other side, it appears. And when people lie down, this notion of that they come close to other people, right? So the, the distance is even if two people sit next to each other like this, that distance is not the same as, Joe, I could probably have you demonstrate as you lean towards your wife in love. Are you closer still? Well, it's a little, that's a little, that's a little going to the movies-ish or maybe going to church, but you sort of get the idea. You know, so, so this, 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 this should be the great, the feast of how the Lord preserves Israel and how the community is held together. And instead it becomes, as always our sins are, this great betrayal where we actually don't believe in love. You know, I've sort of said this to you before. Every sin is the product of this lie, that God doesn't love me. Every sin starts with this lie. God doesn't love me. And so if God doesn't love me, then I move um, to plan B, which is what uh, Judas is, is after today. So God doesn't love me, so I'll have to take matters into my own hands. So they're at the they're they're at a table and reclining, and Judas is as close to Jesus humanly possible. I mean, he really is, like just like touchable. You know, these are my friends. It's like we're together. It's all good. But you have these regular places, which I'm sure you know, across the New Testament, where Jesus identifies Judas and says about him, you know, one of you will betray me early on. Uh, now you get a little bit of commentary, and Judas was a thief. You remember about the woman in the oil um, is used to anoint, and then he's like, oh, you could have sold this and made some money, and then there's a little sidebar that says, and he said that because he kept the money bag and he was a thief, right? And so Judas had sort of the, we shouldn't be so hard him, and in this sense, he had the same sort of, Temptations you can have living in Wheaton when you're trying to fill out a pledge card. And honestly, I mean, that's not as a joke, honestly. You know, there's the same temptation that we do, which is we cling to our stuff and especially to our money too tightly. And we haven't learned to live within our means. And our means are 90% or less. That's our means, right? 10% of the church, something for alms. Um, you know, we, so that's the, that, the way of, you know, the Missouri Senate 2.7% tithe is the way of Judas. I should write an article for the Lutheran Witness. I wonder how they would edit it up. <laughs> it's so interesting to see if I could get it published. 
then it'd be interesting to see what would happen when I was working at Walmart at later in the month. <laughs> so, yes, those things, there's so many interesting things in life, right? So, um, you know, G- Jesus and Judas, you know, just like you, you would say to yourselves, if, I, if only I could have a go with Jesus, you know, if I was, only, if I was, if I was touchable with Jesus. Eucharist, Eucharist, the Eucharist. If I was touchable with Jesus, if I was that close and he could answer a few of my questions, read your scriptures, ruminare, right, chew your cud. So uh, all the things we've done. Then this great quote from Benedict for John, what happened to Judas is beyond psychological explanation. So here's the thing. There are psychological explanations for things, but this is not a matter of the mind. So, right? You have, a, you have a physician for your body, you have a, a, a psychologist for your mind, and you have a pastor for your soul. What Benedict says to you is, the kink isn't in his psyche, right? The kink is in his soul. He has come under the dominion of another, right? So you know the old thing I've often said, everybody has a master. Everybody has a master. It's just which master you have. Even if you yourself are your master, which is the worst idea going. But everybody has a master. The question is to find, you know, whose disciple are you? Anyone who breaks off friendship with Jesus, casting off his easy yoke, does not attain liberty. See, that's the lie we started with at the beginning of this year. People think that if they cast off Jesus, if they cast off the church, if they cast off love, if they engage power, Right? People think that they will be master and they will be free. It's the whole project of the Enlightenment. These problems are our problems. We'll solve our own problems. We don't need God to solve our problems because none of our problems are divine. Our problems are our problems. Of course, none of that has been true because we can't solve flooding, apparently. And we can't solve sickness and we can't solve death and we can't solve the environment. We can't solve um, economic distribution. We can't solve food distribution. We frankly aren't very good at anything and yet we continue this project that we will solve our things ourselves, which is the great reason the postmodern world is fabulous, because people are rediscovering that they have a soul, right? And they're rediscovering that their problems are bigger than we are. So there's hope for the church, which is why even though the church has let you down in many places and let the world down, this is your chance, right? This is your chance to be alluring, to be engaging, to be compelling, to be loving. This is your chance, all right? So, people think they can cast off their easy yoke and attain liberty, but they do not become free. They succumb to other powers. To put it another way, Judas betrays this friendship because he is in the grip of another power to which he has opened himself. He goes out into the night. He moves out of the light into the darkness. The power of darkness has taken hold of him. And so, you know, even though Jesus would never betray Judas, um, Judas, you know, would betray Jesus. And, of course, the same is true of me and of you. You know, Jesus would never betray me. I mean, I think I probably said to you, you know, the one thing I want to say in the new members class is this simple. Jesus loves you. Jesus will never hurt you. This is kind of all you need to know about being a Christian. Jesus loves you. And Jesus will never hurt you. You can pull everything else out of that if you work at it a bit. Jesus loves you, and Jesus will never hurt you. Judas thinks Jesus will hurt him, and so he doesn't think Jesus loves him. 
And that, of course, is the basis of every sin. When you sin yourself, when you sin, you basically say, Jesus doesn't love me. Right? Which is why the church is filled with disciplines, with liturgy, with icons, with artwork, with a body on the cross, with the Eucharist, with the baptismal font. All these things are to remind you that Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you desperately, Jesus loves you more than you love yourself. Don't trade him in, right? So three, you have this story now where the second Adam, St. Paul, Jesus is the second Adam, is back in another garden. Ah, you know, you can trace the lines if you want. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If not, um, you know, whatever. But Jesus takes his disciples, you who have been there, takes his disciples out of the temple, down the hill, across the Kidron Valley, up the hill of the Mount of Olives. And you remember, if you've been there, about halfway up is the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember, this is the same path in Ezekiel where the Holy Spirit, absolutely disgusted with Israel, goes out of the temple, looks back over his shoulder, walks down the hill, goes up uh, the very same place where Jesus is going and disappears over the Mount of Olives, right? And on Holy Week, you have Jesus coming back over the Mount of Olives, retracing the Holy Spirit's steps, and then you have him retracing the steps again. What you're supposed to hear is that God is back, and God is back for his people. So this is, we're into Monday, Thursday now. So what you're supposed to hear is God is back, God is back for his people, and this is the way that God chooses to be back. Judas disagrees with it, and many people disagree with it, right? Even disagree with the fact that Jesus is in the Eucharist. He would never do that. He can't possibly do that. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't like it if he did that. Love is obedience. Faith is agreement, right? You can be Judas or anti-Judas, your choice. You can be Christ or you can be anti-Christ, you know? All this stuff now comes together. So down across, um, down across the wadi, up the Mount of Olives. And it's interesting that John speaks about Jesus being troubled in his heart three times. And this is one of them. Once when he's at Lazarus's tomb, once on Palm Sunday, when he, not about the, necessarily the descent and the rise into Palm Sunday, but when he considers what's ahead of him. If you read the broader story, Jesus is troubled in his spirit. And then you have this um, night in Gethsemane where Jesus is deeply troubled. Now, John doesn't give you all the gory details. He doesn't give you the sweats. He doesn't give you all these other things that the other, that the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tend to agree a little bit more. John, the eagle on the lectern, He's got a little bit of a different take on the story. John always wants to show Jesus as composed, in charge, committed, right? And you'll see that when the soldiers come to him. You'll see how that will work. So now Jesus is light up against the darkness, okay? We should probably... um, Pull up a Bible and start to look at this. So you're going to John, right? Grab a Bible, go to John. Kind of just 11 chapters in John 18. So when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. It seemed to be a regular place. One of the commentaries I was reading pointed out that Jesus is rarely seen 
kind of interesting. Jesus rarely seen sleeping in anybody's house. Almost always Jesus is homeless, if you will. Almost always Jesus is outside. It's very rare when Jesus bunks in any place. So this is a common place that was known to the disciples. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place where Jesus often met there with his disciples. It's a glorious place, right? Beautiful, overlooking the temple. It's wonderful. So Judas, procuring a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there, and this is just so interesting, right? This is typical human behavior. This is the church at work at its worst. Let's get some lanterns and torches and weapons. That's how we'll fix some things, right? By brute force and ignorance. That's what we'll do, right? This will be fabulous. We got an idea, you know, there's, there's nothing worse than a bunch of church people with a good idea, right? <laughs> We've just got to figure this out, right? So, um, you know, and I, this is point four, love doesn't work by force. Nothing good happens by force. God doesn't work by force in this world. There'll be a day of reckoning when God will work by force. But right now, God works by means. God works by the gospel. God works by love. God works by touch. God works by voice. It's very easy to block a voice, right? And it's very easy not to see the scriptures, right? And it's very easy to stay home on Sunday. It's easy. It's very easy not to fast and not to pray. It's easy. It's natural. And if you skip church, your weekend is really long. Don't try it. Because that's the way people, as they said of Judas, he opened his heart to things that were not Christ. Right? So here he is. Um, Judas, procuring a band of soldiers and some officers, went with lanterns and torches. Then Jesus, knowing what was to befall him, came forward. This is the anti-Spartagus. Who's Spartagus? Right? right? No. Jesus came forward. This is kind of good shepherd kind of things. Jesus comes forward and says, hey, what are you looking for? Whom do you seek? Right? In Judas, we see the nature of this rejection more clearly. He evaluated Jesus in accordance with the criteria of power and success. Hey, welcome to our world, right? What matters in our world? Power and success. You can say what you want, but um, most people measure up by power and success. For him, power and success alone were real. That's the most interesting comment. What's real in your life? How do you measure yourself? How do people see you? How do you want to be seen? Power and success. Love did not count. And he was greedy. Money was more important than, look at this, communion with Jesus. So it's more important to have the money and not have Jesus than to not have the money and have Jesus. This is pretty basic stuff, friends. This is, this is just so easy, right? These are just sort of basic choices. This is all the stuff we've been talking about. It's just so easy. He thus also became a liar who played a double game and broke with the truth. One who lived in deceit and so lost his sense of the supreme truth of God. In this way, he became hard of heart and incapable of conversion, of trusting the return of the prodigal son. And he disposed of the life destroyed. Right? So given all that, I mean, whom do you seek? I didn't write you anything there because that's the question of our age. There's not a lot more that needs to be said there. Whom do you seek? If you just talk to people, what are you looking for? 
You know, what are you looking for? One of the great things that the elders have, you know, the, the elders have a way of cutting through things from time to time um, with ways that sort of stick with me. One of the great things I've learned from the, from the elders is just to, the simple question in times of conflict to ask, what do you want? Right, you can ask it different ways. What would make you happy? Or what are you aiming at? Or where are you going? Or whom do you seek? These are all the same questions. You see how easy it is for you to talk to people about this. You just simply ask people, well, what are you looking for in life? Like, what do you want? Of course, the follow-up question is, is, is the path, will the path you're on take you there? The, the church's answer is, if it has to do with power and success, no, it will not, because Jesus is the opposite of power and success. And if you get power and success, you need to manage it like Abraham or David or... Anybody else who's been trusted with a lot, because it will own you if you don't discipline it. Right? This is what happens to this is what happens to Judas. He's owned by his stuff in himself. Right? So Jesus comes forward, steps forward, and then he gives this answer which John loves very much. Egoe me, I am or I'm he. It's me, right? Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, it's me. Which is not the way we normally talk in times of trouble. We usually point at somebody else, right? Whom do you seek? They answered, verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Ego and me. So you have the I am windows downstairs, right? Same dealio. Or um, the burning bush. I am who I am, or I will be what I will be, or I will do what I will do. Tell me your name. Who sent me, Moses says. I am. Right? And this great sense that the burning bush is the cross, and the cross is the burning bush, right? I am he. You have icons sometimes of Jesus in the burning bush. You have the icon of Jesus in the burning bush. Why? You have to make this connection that the same person who spoke in the burning bush that was leading Israel is the same person speaking in the Garden of Gethsemane who's leading Israel, right? You don't have to make these connections. These are not matters of salvation. But if you start to see how salvation history works and the richness of how Jesus continues to say the same old thing over and over and over and over and over again, and Christ is the telos of the law, Christ is the end of the law, not the end like a period, but the end like fulfillment, right? all this stuff begins to make this great sense. And it's a dangerous time. Uh, one of the most interesting stories, I went back and reread it. You know, I gave you the burning bush here under six, but I don't know if you remember this story from Elijah. The, king, um, the king's mad at the prophets, right? And Elijah's taking his turn. The king sends 50 soldiers, right? So now start to think how the stories line up. You know, history may not repeat itself, but it rhymes. Elijah the prophet is there. The king is angry. The king sends soldiers. They, whom do you seek? And he said, are you Elijah? I am he. And fire comes down from heaven and consumes the 50 soldiers. Do you know this story? This is almost as good as when the bears come out and eat the children for making fun of the pastor for being bald. <laughs> so these, are the, these are the most beautiful stories in scripture. They should be clung to by every faithful member. 
So they go home. As it used to be, when I taught confirmation, that was the first story I read every, for every confirmation class. I'd read them with the stories of the bears eating the children because they made fun of the prophet for being bald. Hey, you, hey, it's in the Bible. So, okay, so this story, so the first 50 get consumed, right? So the king's mad, and he sends another 50 guys, and the next guy comes up and says, are you Elijah? Elijah says, I am he. And fire comes from heaven, consumes the 50 guys. Now, here's the bad job. The king is angry, and he picks another guy to go see Elijah, right? Guy number three comes and says something like, I'm looking for Elijah, and please don't let the fire come down from heaven. <laughs> this is hopeful. People learn, right? Well, if you're Israel, you have this sense that when somebody is saying, ego and me, I am he, that can be dangerous territory. It's burning bush. You remember, with, take off your shoes and bow down. The Lord has to tell Moses what to do. Or, you know, comes the prophet, and this is a moment when the heavens can open. Ego e is a dangerous kind of thing. But, of course, since the Lord has chosen, chosen not to work by power, you get um, a different sort of thing. So I've kind of reminded you of how Jesus talked. Early on, from when he says you won't get any sign, but the sign of Jonah, and, you know, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and when I'm lifted up, I'll have my true glory, right? Jesus had been dropping hints for 18 chapters about how the word who became flesh in chapter 1 is going to end up being glorified, and the way he's going to be glorified is to be nailed to a cross. So he's been doing this over and over again, and I gave you a few, boom, 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 boom. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, Right? And I've given you the text there where Jesus is lifted up in his full glory. So even Jesus, who could, as you know, in one of the things where this is a great, you know, where, where Peter takes, off, takes his sword, you remember, and he cuts off Malchus's ear. Whoosh! You just get the, this at the end today. He'll cut off Malchus's ear. And Jesus is just like, ah, you're a D student, right? <laughs> He's just like, ah, you know, what, do I, what do I do with you, right? He's trying to explain to him that it's, and he says in one of the synoptics, if, you, you know, if I wanted to have the angels protect me, I could summon the angels right now. But that's not, we're, not, we're not working in that direction. So seven, if Jesus wants to meet force with force, he can summon the angels, but then what becomes of us? And you know, this is a long bit from a sermon um, from Norman Nagel. Two things. I, uh, one is the intern who typed it in is going straight to hell because he didn't put the footnote in. Okay. There might be a possible redemption for him on the last day. But the other thing is I couldn't find my, I think somebody's got my book of sermons or I can't find it in the tussle that is my office right now. So there's nobody else who, in the whole world who writes like Norman. You have to write, you know, you read three lines and you know it's him. But I'll try to get you a power footnote. Nevertheless, you know, it's nice to be the smartest guy in the room. Pray for him. He's near the end of his life. Jesus did not love his life. He gave it willingly. Those who crucify Jesus, and every sinner is included in that number, loved their lives and sought to preserve them and prosper them. It was because they saw Jesus as a threat to the lives they were making for themselves that they wanted to get rid of him. You have to understand how important that is. Something has to give. Actually, something has to die. You can have Jesus' life, or you can have your life. You can't have both. If you try to have both, you bastardize one or the other, right? So 
It's a full blastness to be with Jesus. You either follow or you don't. You remember the great sadness of Jesus when he calls that guy who, to be number 13. He said, you know, Jesus is happy with 12, but he says to this guy, why don't you come sell everything you've got and follow me. You can be disciple number 13. This has got to be the best offer that a man has ever had. He's picked 12. 12 is an apostolic number. It's a holy number. 12 tribes of Israel, 12, 12, 12 everywhere. Jesus says to this guy, you're rich, but I love you. Come on. And the guy said, is crestfallen? Because he loved his stuff too much, right? Something has to die when you follow Jesus. This is why when you're baptized, the, the tomb is, or the, 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 the font is spoken of as a tomb, right? And the, the good Lutherans hold you under for a while until the bubbles come up. And then they do it two more times just to make sure that you got it, right? Because you die, Romans 6, when you get baptized. Some had constructed religious lives for themselves that they thought, now here's our world, okay? Commanded respect and reward. So powerful people and rich people. I'm sorry, respect and reward. Church people who think they've got it caked. Men such as Pilate thought the whole base of their lives in power and position. There you go, rich people, powerful people. Challenged by Jesus. The men who lived by swords and staves saw they trusted weapons, saw their trusted weapons look foolish when Jesus in Gethsemane gave himself into their hands. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing more um, <laughs> uh, there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing to make um, a weapon look more foolish than surrender, right? Men such as Judas, eager to use others for their own profit, saw what their money was worth. The soldier in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus saw all that for what it was worth. Remember the soldier who watched Jesus, I said, sure, that man was the son of God. So the soldier, finally the great reckoning, I mean, that's why that's the, when, the, when the, a Gentile, a man in authority says, surely that man was the son of God. He, he relativizes all of life. That's the son of man, that's the son of God, and he's dead. Or we just had our last best chance and we blew it. Or we thought power and money and success and pushing people around and being racist and being unfair, right? And, and, and you know, taking advantage of people. We, we thought that was all going to work out for us. Guess what? So then Jesus, um, you know, verse 8. Uh, it's me. I'm the good shepherd. Uh, let these people go. Hey, how about that? Same words used for the coming out of Egypt, the exile. This was to fulfill the word which was spoken of those whom you gave me, I lost not one. So Jesus doesn't lose you along the way. He gives himself in your place. So he isn't arrested. He gives himself up and nothing's changed. Jesus remains the good shepherd. And so long as we're safe, Jesus abandons his own safely, safety. And at the point of his betrayal, Jesus loves us most by giving himself, and he does that all the way to the cross. And even though people get scattered, they don't get lost. So you shouldn't despair of yours whom you love who've been scattered. Right? Hold on. Pray for him. Um, 
borrow some of Jesus' good things and give it to them. You know, pray for them like the paralytic who gets healed. You know, Jesus looks at their faith and heals that guy. So sometimes Jesus looks at you and heals somebody else, even if they have no faith. So you just sort of, you just sort of, you just sort of keep going. And you have this great presence of Jesus who will go straight to the cross for you. Now Peter, and it was interesting, it came up for the reading today and a little bit in the sermon. It's so interesting how you have Satan and Peter and Judas all saying the same thing and doing the same thing. It's Satan and Peter and Judas who always get in Jesus' way. And it's so interesting because you have this same story where Judas has bollocked everything up now, trying to give, you know, take an alternative path. And then Peter does the same thing by taking another alternative path. So now Peter's going to, what, fight his way out of it? With soldiers, really? And he cuts this guy's ear off, and, you know, then that poor guy is you know, like, what the heck? Right? Imagine if you're Malchus. I mean, what? I thought he just gave up. I thought this didn't work. But it's, it's interesting how you kind of remember when you hear the Monday Thursday readings how When Jesus says, hey, if this cup could pass from me, it's like he takes the words of Satan, the words of Judas, and the words of Peter into his own mouth, and then he spits them out. So this is how Jesus fully receives the temptations. He says what Satan says. Let's not go to the cross. He says what Peter says. If you're the son of God, you won't be crucified. He says what Judas says, which is, yeah, this isn't working out. Jesus takes all that into his mouth on Monday, Thursday, and then he kind of spits it out. And now he's arrested and he goes to the cross. So he's the anti-Satan, anti-Peter, anti-Judas. Boom. So nice. And then he just simply says to Peter, you know, I'll write my own story. I'll, you know, I'll play this out on my own terms. So Simon Peter had a sword. He drew it and he struck the high priest's slave, cut off his right ear. The poor man's name was Malchus. And Jesus said, put your sword into its sheath there it is. Shall I not drink the cup? That's what he says in, in, that's what he just said in Gethsemane. Hey, do I have to drink the cup? That's what he says to the father. And then he says, I'll drink the cup. And then he says to Peter, I'll drink the cup. So he says what he heard from his father. Now he says it to Peter, which you've um, given me, right? So I'll, I give you, you know, what I think to be one of the truer things I know, which is love and, love and obedience. There's no difference. That's why obedience is such a happy word. So I, you know, we got to go. I, I gave you a long, a long bit of this um, from Norman, and you can you can sort of read that through. And there's some other things, but um, read the long bit. I'll let you do that on your own. It's a beautiful thing. But kind of spin ahead to kind of eleven, twelve, and thirteen. What becomes of Judas? You know, sometimes and Benedict, you know, was pretty hard on him. But listen to how this father. Um, and, and Benedict is hard on him again, you know, at 12 there. But listen to this, and I, I want to say this particularly for those people who have fallen away, those who have betrayed Christ, and those who have committed suicide. We had a friend, I think, who was um, a long-time friend we kind of lost touch with, who I think um, took her own life this past week. It's been a tough week at St. John. A lot of kids and a lot of troubles and a lot of parents dying and you know, it's just been, it was a tough, it was a tough last 10 days at St. John. But we've had some really good outcomes. 
Would you pray for Judah and Edith Rosenwinkel grandkids, um, both with good success of things? And then Kirby and I have a friend who, um, we put her in the prayers this morning. She's three months old, aggressive brain cancer. The first course of treatment is 50 rounds of chemotherapy. Yeah, like at three months, really. All right. Have people whose parents have died, when people who struggled. You know, we lost another friend who it seems to, things are murky. But, um, you know, the thing you do is you sort of say, well, the Lord is going to have to clean all this up. Listen to this last thing. It's under, just above 13. With his presence, Jesus shows that the given love conquers death for him and for his friends, Judas included, right? John 3.16, for the whole world. Let's not forget that when Judas went to betray him, Jesus called him friend. He may stop loving Jesus, but Jesus never stops loving him. He may push away from Jesus at the table, but Jesus doesn't push away from him. How could we not think that this word had pierced the traitor's heart? Maybe in the last minute of his life, Judas, remembering that word and the kiss, felt that the master still loved him and would have welcomed him among the others in new life. I just urge you to be careful and never let yourself lapse into despair. I've never said of any person anywhere that they've gone to hell, and certainly never said that in a funeral. This thing is not for us to judge. We don't see hearts. One of the blessings of not seeing hearts is that you need not despair. Despair is the outcome of seeing hearts. But since you don't see them, um, there's no point in riddling yourself with despair and ruining the energy you might have to do something positive in the way of love for Jesus. I am not, in saying that, giving some sort of kind of Pollyannish, universalistic, it's all going to work out, everybody goes, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is these things are left to God. And because they're left to God, the God that we know is merciful, and he's the sort of God that even says, friend to the man who's betraying him. So I just would be, the church, it's easy to judge, and the church has been quick to it. I would just, and it, it causes consternation in a dozen different directions. And it can hurt you deeply if you sort of engage it. Um, rely on the Christ that you know who comes to you at the table as you lie next to him, calls you friend, who feeds you, who baptizes you, who forgives everything. And remember that the weakness is in us, it's not in Jesus, right? So, I, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that as the last thing. We've got to go to church. But uh, be careful with your judgments about people. Because, you know, you never know kind of know what the last thing was. Okay? At the mystical supper, Son of God, today receive me as a communicant. For I will not speak of the mystery to your enemies. I will not give them a kiss. I will not give you a kiss like Judas. But as the thief, Right? So Judas is a liar, but I'm a thief. But as the thief, I confess you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? And then a final story. I went to Arcadia one year. I followed Fred Niedner, who I know from Belpo because I taught there a couple of years. Um, he's a genuinely nice guy and always kind to me. I know he gets, sometimes he colors outside the lines and gets under people's skin, and I get it. But I, he's a genuinely, I like him. And he was kind to me, and that matters to me when I was young. But he had given a lecture that people were still buzzing about the next week where he said something like, and I didn't hear him say it. I only heard that people said he said it, 
we'll know that we're reconciled to this story when we start to name our babies Judas again. You go first. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, love you. See you Wednesday. Come for dinner.